Hi there, my name is Pete. This is Social Distancer. Thanks for listening. This is episode 225, maybe our longest episode yet. We have got Noel in New York. We're going to play in a minute um, outstanding audio. We have also got the story after the outro music, a paranormal blip, an eyewitness account of a UFO in Dartington. Unbelievable. It happened about 20 years ago. I didn't know anything about it. It's actually the researcher from the show told me this. And I do know that there's one other person out there in the world that saw it, at least one person, the person he's with, right? Um, So that's outstanding. Also in Paranormal Blip, we've got Jeremy Corbell, and he's dropped a bloody other um, (laughs) like footage, radar footage of UAPs. And I've got a link to uh, his interview with George Knapp in the show notes. And we've got Lou Elizondo on Fractals. And before the outro music in the actual show, we have got Cummings and we've got the India variant. But we're going to begin now with Noel in New York. So I'm really pleased to say that Noel has sent some audio. And it's quite different from uh, his other... Uh, pieces that he sent us so generally speaking the way I describe his other pieces is that they do something that Don DeLillo does really brilliantly in that there's various strands Um, it might be the same idea but he's kind of talking about this idea in various ways so he might talk about a plant or an animal or he might talk about the way that kind of society is at the time And then kind of within that, he might talk about his own personal experiences. But there's a couple of strands going on at the same time, yeah? Now that's, uh, you know, generally the the kind of uh, writing that Noel has sent us in the the past. Today, he has written something that I find personally incredibly difficult to do, and he's done it absolutely amazingly. What he does is he looks into and examines a couple of days in his life a couple of weeks ago. These very dramatic, stressful days that he talks about. And it's a beautiful piece of writing. The pace of it is slightly different. The music underlying it as well, like, you know, in the background is is different as well. And it gives the piece a bit of a different feel. So we're gonna go jump straight into that. And thank you so much, Noel, for sending this in. I really appreciate it. I mean, you know, it is outstanding, like outstanding writing. And I absolutely love listening to your work. And it's a real pleasure to be able to, to share it with the audience here. So thank you, Noel. Here he is. Sunday night, April 25th, 2021. We both have an awful night's sleep, kicking off a 48-hour stretch that felt a lot longer than 48 hours. This is the second bad sleep in about one week. Five days earlier, we woke up feeling wrecked. Not exactly hungover, but highly suspicious of a delightful salmon dinner Yoshiko put together. This is the kind of sleep where you wake up not well rested at all and with a persistent low-level headache. Monday. Monday morning, Yoshiko was extra grumpy, feeling off headed into an early 9 a.m. meeting with her boss. I had closed the bathroom window that night, which is usually our fresh air source. The bedroom was a bit stuffy, and it is probably past time to put away the down comforter. The two of us are complaining, drinking water to chase the dehydration, blaming the first vaccine shot from 10 days ago on our woes. Yoshiko shares with her boss that she is feeling under the weather, and her boss replies, Why don't you go take a COVID test? She decides, why not, and suggests that we both go to the city MD in the afternoon. I attempt to mansplain away the off feelings, saying, Well, we had the windows closed. CO2 buildup in the bedroom is not good. We need more plants in there to help mitigate these dangerous gases, and so on. But I agree to go to the rapid test. I had wondered for a second if just one of us should go, because if one of us was okay, the other most surely was as well. We still don't have a big risk profile. Off we went. 
On the way down the elevator, our elderly neighbor hops in for two floors. He's a famous Bronx historian and must be in his mid-80s by now. Really nice fellow, awkward to share the elevator, but we decide to leave the decision up to him. We are all masked and the ride is brief. Spring is bringing back heavy feelings of last year when we were new in the area and walking and panicking to get groceries at the Aldi's market a mile away, then lugging the supplies back in Ikea bags so heavy they bruised our shoulders. We laugh and reminisce on the walk over to the city MD. We get to the testing site and enjoy seeing no lines. This had not been the case over the course of the pandemic. It all has a feeling of a nostalgia tour, almost as if the storm has passed and we're going for just one more test for old time's sake. We check in and use the shared tablet, which I can't help but get grossed out by. I suspect it helps protect the workers, but damn, sharing a tablet with a stream of folks coming to get tested for an infectious disease seems like perhaps not the best protocol. I was having mild regret that I didn't look into the National Guard drive-in site, but hey, this is where the rapid test is. And since I have my dentist appointment on Wednesday, a quick checkup seems like a good thing to do, I'm sure she would appreciate it. We check in and they say, we will text you when to come back. So we go to the Dunkin' Donuts next door and get matcha lattes, one frozen and one on ice. We sampled each other's to see the difference. We went into the pet store and looked at the fish and the lizards and the doggies getting haircuts. We went back home and waited for the text. It came at about 5 p.m. and we drove over this time and promptly got the rapid test. It was quick and pretty easy. I laughed, remembering the first time we did this and how nervous it made me. Yoshiko came out and mentioned something about her tester dropping something with an, whoops, did I do that? Which was a bit odd. We went into the BJ's market across the street to pick up some groceries wandered around the store, checking out the various deals. I started doing internal body checks, noticing an off feeling that I was a little bit unsure about. I decided to shake it off. I'm fine. Let's get the groceries and go home. The rapid test results usually come in about 30 minutes at most from CityMD, but it took about two hours and it wasn't until 7.11 p.m. did I get an email. I opened it up and was of course pleased to see in big capital letters, NOT DETECTED. Yoshiko did not get her email yet. Did you check your spam folder? Nothing there. I think I unsubscribed from them last fall. What about the dashboard on the website? Nothing there either. Since I was not detected, that's why yours will be too. Yoshiko made a lovely turkey burger and handmade french fries, and we had some rosé along with the meal that we had picked up next door to the testing center. We had recently renovated the dining area with a simple rotation of the table by 90 degrees. It was a simple change, but we were enjoying the new dining experience. In pandemic times, it's the small things. Close to 11 p.m., Yoshiko's email finally comes in. She announces it was received and gives a bit of a drum roll, and then the color drops out of her face. Positive. Positive? Are you kidding? Positive. Right here in red letters. What the fuck? Stunning is hardly adequate to describe the news. I look at the email in disbelief. How? What? One of us negative, one of us positive? How is it possible? It can't be right. Both of us decide immediately. What do we do? Do we wear masks now? Yoshiko scurries into the other room. 
breath. The rapid tests are known to be inaccurate. What we will do, we will go back tomorrow morning and get the PCR test. It opens at 8 a.m. and we will get there right away. That seemed to be the common wisdom to retest. And the email from CityMD even had text that seemed to support that decision. For now, we decide I should sleep on the couch in the living room as if I was in the doghouse for angering Yoshiko. We try to get some sleep. I end up Googling more than I should and find plenty of folks saying false negatives are way more prevalent than false positives with the rapid test. And I start to decide that it is me with the wrong test result. The virus pulls no punches and doesn't spare anybody. The nerve of me assuming a positive test result must be wrong. Suffice to say, sleep was difficult that night and my thoughts raced. Why did I share the matcha latte? Oh my god. If she's positive, then for sure. If I didn't have it then, I'll get it soon. Brain commences to spiral, as brains do. Ever the practical one in the relationship, Yoshiko starts thinking through her will. She decides I can use the 401k money to cover the mortgage, and maybe take a trip or something. No symptoms, mind you, just her nature to stay one step ahead of any and all potentialities. Tuesday. We woke up early and didn't say much. Yoshiko did a gratitude meditation. Thankful that she is breathing, thankful that she is alive, that she can see and that she can smell. We didn't even make coffee and headed straight over to the city MD. We don't see the early mornings that much these days. It was pretty nice out with long light and shadow patterns. The cool breeze felt good. At the testing center, not much of a line again, and they were able to see us straight away. We went in different rooms next to each other. I could almost hear Yoshiko and the doctor talking next door as I waited. The tech came in and said, oh, you again. What brings you here? I tell her and can immediately pick up on her becoming tense. She takes my blood pressure and oxygen levels and says the doc will be in to do the test. The doctor comes in. I can't recall if he already knew why I was there or not, but he is tense too. He sits far away with his arms crossed and essentially starts scolding me. I was detached from it, just replying understood and got it to whatever he was scolding me about. Quarantine this, positive that, shouldn't be out, blah, blah, blah. I get it and I understand they don't want unnecessary risks. But we were doing what seemed to be the logical step after such a confusing result. We're 10 days into our first dose, I tell the doctor, and get a snippy response that all the vaccine does is make the infection more mild. So do you still want me to do the test? I'll do it if you want, but you'll have to start the quarantine over again from the date of any positive result. Yes, I want the test, motherfucker. I'm not gonna sit in this chair for a scolding then leave, I thought, as I replied, sure. Pull down the mask from just your nose and breathe through your mouth. He puts the swab in and I breathe through my nose for a few seconds, scattered enough and momentarily confused as to how to make the switch. You are good. You can go. I give a curt thanks as I exit the room, aware that I put my now surely infectious bare hands on both sides of the door handle as I open it and touch the outside one to close him unnecessarily in the room. Yoshiko is already outside, and we walk back home. The doctor lady yelled at me, why are you here? Positive is positive, test is very accurate, you're putting us at risk. I'm sorry, you didn't need that, I said. 
we get home in time for Yoshiko to start a normal day at work. We tell my brother as we are planning to visit him in a few weeks during a scheduled bathroom renovation. We wondered about the poorly masked noses in Home Depot when we were looking at the Carrera marble tiles for the floor. My brother responded like it was a death in the family. I'm so, so sorry. I can't believe this. This is terrible. Any symptoms? Not really. Of course, at this point, we are on fumes from two less than ideal nights of sleep, so it is a bit hard to tell. I got my COVID screening questionnaire for the dentist appointment and had to respond yes to the first question, which means an immediate cancellation. We spend the day in separate rooms. Yoshiko in the bedroom, I'm in the main room, and we both are steadily adding to the security theater. Yoshiko starts spraying the bathroom and kitchen with sanitizer in her wake. I decide, well, maybe we should wear masks, you know, just in case. We have both of the air filters running and all of the windows in the apartment open. Welcome to the new, unexpected phase of the pandemic. I hate this. I make a soup with a whole head of garlic in it. Throw in some cumin, some turmeric. I fluctuate from feeling like I'm fine to I can feel it. This is some sort of pre-flu off feeling I am certain. After making the soup, it feels like it really crests. Like, oh shoot, this is a definitive overexertion. I lie down for about 20 minutes, hoping it will subside. But after a short snooze, I wake up and still have that feeling. Not good, I decide, and increase my worry. We spend the day just waiting, really, apart, trying to process what outcomes we are facing. I look at the daily testing numbers for New York City often. It is such a different feeling when you or your loved ones are represented in the data. Outcome one, her rapid test was a false positive. We are both truly negative. This is what we hope for. This makes sense as we really have not been that stupid outside or have we? Or are these variants taking advantage in a new way? Was I dumb at the track practice? When did we pick it up? None of us are out of reach and am I being irrational thinking? It can't really get to us. Outcome two, my rapid test was a false negative. We both are truly positive. Googling seems to indicate this could be a likely outcome. This is the worst case scenario, but can't be all that terrible. The shot will protect us from the worst of it, I think. People go through this, we will be okay, but who did we expose? We went shopping after getting tested, for crying out loud. God, we're idiots. After a year of trying so hard to do the right thing, it is like tripping at the finish line. The psychological weight of it happening so close to the second shot is no small matter, and it almost stings greater than a worry about the infection itself. We were so close. In between the fucking vaccination shots. I look on Google. Apparently this has happened to at least 24,000 people. I'm just worried about the long-term health complications. My childhood best friend Mark helpfully shares when I wish him happy birthday. But Yoshiko's tech dropped something. Not sure what. She only saw it out of the corner of her eye. This is something to hang some hope on. My brother asks his pharmacist husband and he says, dropping something could produce a false positive. The first shot of the vaccine would not though. Outcome three, the rapid test was accurate and the PCR test will reproduce the same results. Also a worst case scenario, likely even worse than outcome two. Two weeks or more of trying to avoid each other in the apartment? Not sure it can be done. Would that also mean I'd get it too eventually or am I already protected enough from this first jab? 
outcome four. PCR test returns me positive and Yoshiko negative. Least likely outcome, but honestly at this point I'm trying to prepare for anything. Now of course the smartest thing to do would be to not think about any of this and just wait for the PCR result, but that's easier said than done. We worry about sharing the elevator with the elderly neighbor. We continue to wait. I think of what Mag used to say, the worst four-letter word in the English language is wait. I could hear her laughing. My brother calls again. He decided to get tested himself. My dad emails, hey, did you get your shots? I call him and let him know the state of affairs. We realize we need some sleep, so we turn in early. On the couch, I get some better rest, but continue my internal checks, and I'm certain I've identified a persistent off feeling. As I described it to my brother, it is similar to the feeling after taking the anti-malaria pills when I was visiting him in Mozambique. A bit similar to the moments before the magic mushrooms or LSD kick in, like something is off, something is coming sleep hoping that will erase it but still feel it when I wake up Wednesday 8 a.m. during morning coffee my results come in negative big but cautious relief okay where's Yoshiko's nothing no dashboard no email no spam folder we are nervous of the same pattern repeating so we continue our theater throughout the day. Yoshiko attempts to have a normal day at work and has to field a call from a co-worker who feels like confessing a litany of incredibly OCD pandemic behaviors. Being the sweetheart she is, she listened with understanding and kindness, more than I could muster given the days she was having. As the hours pass, I decide to not trust my results again. And surely this delay with Yoshiko is a bad sign, and I can't conceptualize an outcome where one of us has it and the other does not. But I notice the awe feeling beginning to dissipate. Some folks on Twitter said that they got such a mild case that it was really only a five-hour affair. Was my feeling valid? All in my head. Where are Yoshiko's results? Is the doctor purposely delaying them because she was mad? Mine came in at 8.30 a.m. and we tested at the same time. By 2.30, I offered to walk over to the National Guard drive-in testing site to see if it is still open. 75 degrees out, shorts and t-shirt weather. I make it there and all is running as usual thought it might be closed because of a minimal internet presence. I text Yoshiko and we plan to go at 8 a.m. But by the time I get back, she decides, let's go now. We get in the car, put both windows down, and drive over, not saying much. Get there shortly after 4.45 p.m., but they had already locked the gates to close at 5. No problem. We'll return tomorrow morning if we still don't have the results. It's a quick drive back home. And then at about 5.15 or so, her email comes in. Negative. I take her computer, noticing her report looks different than mine, still not trusting until I look closely to compare. They are different, no explanation why, but the result is negative. Goodness. We peel off our masks, pour some Pinot Grigio, and cook up an Asiago cheddar thin crust pizza, and share dinner together at the table again after a leisurely evening walk in the park where the plants looked especially vibrant and alive. We laughed, such a full body relief, astounded at the roller coaster of a 48 hours raw, our nerves are just under the surface. The next morning we woke up with such a different feeling, 
as a friend put it, it's like waking up twice, as if to remind us it wasn't a dream, though contact tracers from New York City dutifully called around lunchtime. After an explanation, they replied, that's fine. It is your decision which result you want to believe. We have since both received our second shots and are now fully vaccinated. We are fortunate and hope all who want it will have this opportunity sooner than later. Thank you so much, Noel. It's great to hear that you got the all clear eventually. And that period between the first dose and the second dose is very important to keep your head down for at least three weeks after the first dose. I think it might differ. The timing might differ depending on the uh, vaccine that you're getting slightly. But um, certainly for the first two weeks after the first dose, you really have to keep your head down. And really only after the uh, two weeks after the second dose, so you kind of, you know, all totally boosted up. Um, so, yeah, thank you ever so much, Noel. You're obviously always welcome to uh, provide us with such incredible, <laughs> incredible content. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, my, my hat, I take off my hat and I bow to you. Um, such beautiful writing. So take care of yourself in New York and things are looking good in New York. You know, it's kind of opening slowly and kind of getting back. Uh, but, you know, we still need to, no matter where you are listening in the world, we still need to like realise that it hasn't gone. You know, it hasn't gone yet. So we can't abandon everything. But thank you very much, Noel. about rainbows and what's on the other side rainbows are visions but only illusions and rainbows have nothing to hide so we've been told and some choose to believe it I know they're wrong, wait and see Someday we'll find it The rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers and me Who said that every wish Would be heard and answered when wished on the morning star. Somebody thought of that and someone believed it. Look what it's done so far. What's so amazing that keeps us stargazing? And what do we think we might see? Someday we'll find it The rainbow connection The lovers, the dreamers and me All of us under its spell We know that it's probably magic Have you been half asleep? And have you heard voices? I've heard them calling my name Is this the sweet sound that calls the young sailors? The voice might be one and the same I've heard it too many times to ignore it It's something that I'm supposed to be Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me.
The India variant is now dominant in the United Kingdom and things are not looking good all of a sudden because uh, everything is up. People getting tested positive has risen by 23% in the last seven days. It's now um, over 3,000 every day and uh, it hasn't been like that since the last six weeks. Um, deaths within 28 days of positive test has risen 43% in the last seven days. This, obviously in particular, is really concerning. And patients admitted to hospital is up 23% in the last seven days. So the India variant, we know about the um, desire uh, by Boris Johnson not to um, stop uh, people like not to put India on the red list because he wanted that trade deal with Modi and he was still planning to go to India fucking unbelievably um, so you know and then they announced it that they would put it on the red list but they announced it four days before actually putting it on the red list unbelievably so of course like so many people that were planning to come back to Britain or wanted to come back to Britain came back to Britain so you know that's how to uh, seed a, a new variant I mean it really is exactly you know you couldn't get a better plan to seed a new variant in your country if you tried and so Christina Pagel like it's you know it's kind of going south now within this obviously we do know that if you've had two vaccines and you've waited for the two weeks like I was saying last week then with the India variant, you are going to be okay. Now, you do still need to take, um, you know, take care, even after two uh, variants, uh, sorry, even after two vaccines. Uh, now, the problem with the data is that they're not telling us who it is that's dying. We don't know if those people have had two vaccines or had one vaccine or had no vaccines, you know? We just don't, we have no idea. That's not available information. I know anecdotally that people who have had two vaccines but are very, very old then die, you know. And so you've got to think about the, the uh, possibility of the vaccine fighting off a uh, kind of small dose, if you like, of COVID-19. But if um, the India variant is a variant, and it is, that uh, transmits easier between people. And then if you're getting into a stage where it is becoming, uh, you know, incidences arising in communities, then it means that all of the things that we need to be doing are that much more important. And unfortunately, the message is going out far more than not that actually, you know, now's the time to kind of see friends, get out and uh, party. Now, if you're seeing friends outside and you've been vaccinated twice, that's absolutely fine. If everybody has been vaccinated twice and you're seeing friends inside, there's a very... T I mean, you're basically, you're fine, you know? Um, if people aren't being vaccinated, if people haven't been vaccinated twice, then you know what I mean. I've, Jesus, I've spoken about this enough. <laughs> but all of those things, you know, you can't abandon any of it, right? Now, um, from a kind of nationwide point of view, 47.3% of people over the age of 18 in the UK have been vaccinated twice. So that's a good amount, you know, and 74% have been vaccinated once. So there's still a lot of people that haven't, my maths aren't that good, but a lot of people, what's that? It was 25%, and it? Yeah, so 25% over the age of 18 haven't been vaccinated at all. Now, of course, you know, we've got long COVID. Of course, we've got, you know, kind of issues that happen for people that are, you know, 35 and younger. But also you've got a small contingent of people that aren't going to be vaccinated. And for whatever reason, you know, whether they don't believe in it or they think it's, you know, Bill Gates or whatever fucking shit reason, they're not going to be vaccinated. There may be some very solid good reasons why they're not being vaccinated either. Like some people, the vaccine, like, you know, they're allergic to the vaccine. So fair enough. But, you know, it's all all of us and it always has been and it fucking continues to be on all of us to kind of take responsibility for our own way that we kind of 
you know, navigate ourselves in this world and the fucking other one as well. Yeah, the next one, which is the good one, uh, where the fairground rides are free. Now, anyway, here's Christina Pagel. It's <laughs> making a really serious point. She's being interviewed by um, Sky News and she kind of loses it. Right, listen to this. It's fucking great. The business secretary has said there is nothing in the data at the moment that suggests we should move the day of June the 21st. He admits things can change, but as it stands today, he says no. I mean, I know they're saying that, but I think they're completely wrong. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. You know, the fourth test of the roadmap is, is there a new variant that changes the risk? And yes, there is. I mean, the government's own scientific advisors say that. Their models say, the minutes from the 13th of May say, if you have a variant that is more transmissible and has some degree of vaccine escape, you can end up with a surge that's as bad as we had in January. And that's not cases, that's hospitalizations. So the government advisors are saying that. The government advisors are saying that's without going to step four. That's just on step three. Is it particularly they said early action is better. They said that you should, red list isn't effective at keeping our variants. We've got a new variant as of yesterday. So, I mean, I know the government ministers are saying that there's nothing in the data, but I mean, it's standing there right in the face. The hospitalizations, deaths, and cases have all gone up this week. Beautiful. Well said, Professor Christina Pagel. And um, yeah, that's the you know that's the thing again. It's got to the point where we have to take responsibility for ourselves. And a long time ago now, I mean, I can't remember exactly what month, but probably, I don't know, maybe May last year, around about a year ago, I was saying that the, you know, personal and the national picture are starting to diverge. So no matter what the national picture is, you've got to think about your own personal circumstances. They are seen the sunshine. No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. That sunshine. So Dominic Cummings gave his evidence to a board of uh, MPs in the UK. I think it was on Wednesday, wasn't it? Yes. And he said some incredible things. So I'm going to play a little bit about what he said about Hancock. He also said that um, Sausage Johnson isn't fit to be PM. He's unfit to be PM. And that he said that, you know, tens of thousands of people um, died that didn't need to die. I mean, the my kind of take on this basically is that we know this, we live through it. It is interesting, obviously, that you have this person who was at the centre of things making these allegations. And the Hancock thing is interesting because although we knew it all, I mean, of course we know that people in cams were dying and weren't being tested, and fucking Hancock lies all the time, you know what I mean? So none of it is news, really, at all. I mean, we chronicled this every fucking day, you know, we live through it. We know it's a fucking disaster. We know that 150 thousand plus people have died from COVID-19 in the UK. Uh, having said that, though, um, you know, there is some element of uh, novelty to see ha uh, Cummings say these things. And it's interesting, of course, because Cummings, it looks like he's uh, backing Gove and Sunak to be, you know, kind of like leading the party at some point in the future. So bizarrely, Michael Gove, who we know that he's got this kind of, you know, cross-government role whereby he's like in charge of so many things and he's a massive force in government. Bizarrely, you know, come and said, oh, no, Gove wasn't really um, involved in any of this. I mean, what fucking bollocks. And then Rishi Sunak came out with this eat me out to help me out uh, bollocks that we know there's about, what, 11%, I think it was, of cases in August were traced back to his eat me out to help me out um, deal whereby people got discounted food on like in restaurants. And, um, you know, but because it kind of sparked uh, arising cases, of course, fucking Cummings is saying, oh, no, Rishi Sunak, like, you know, so it's nothing to do with him. Once the uh, the overall policy was set, 
which is, you know, open up the economy, then of course, like, you know, he's totally blameless for coming up with this fucking thing that spread loads of... So he's trying to kind of walk this quite a difficult line between throwing shit at the people he doesn't like anymore, but making sure none of the shit kind of goes on to the people that he does like. And of course, all of the people are just standing right next to each other. It's quite difficult to do that, you know, if you can imagine throwing like a big cow pat, uh, like frisbeeing a cow pat at um, Hancock's face. Some of it might splatter off onto um, Gove. Oh, that's a nice image, isn't it? Oh, yeah, lovely. It's like ASMCR. <laughs> when you try to, when you, if you're trying to get to sleep, just double click back twice um, <laughs> to that bit where I'm talking about the cow pat being for speed. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'll get to sleep there. Anyway, right, here is the little fucker. I don't know how much I can stand of him, but here he is. I think that the Secretary of State for Health should have been fired for at least 15, 20 things, including lying to everybody in multiple occasions in meeting after meeting in the, in the cabinet room and publicly. I think there's no doubt at all that many senior people um, performed far, far disastrously below the standards which the country has a right to expect. I think that the Secretary of State for Health is certainly one of those people. I said repeatedly to the Prime Minister that he should be fired. So did the Cabinet Secretary, so did many other senior people. In my opinion, disastrously, the Secretary of State had made, while the Prime Minister was on his near deathbed, had made this pledge to do 100,000 by, uh, by the end of April. What then happened when I came back around the 13th was, I started getting calls and number 10 were getting calls saying, Hancock is interfering with the building of the test and trace system because he's telling everybody what to do to maximise his chances of hitting his stupid target by the end of the month. In my opinion, he should have been fired for that thing alone. It was criminal, disgraceful behaviour that caused serious harm. We were told categorically in March that people would be tested before they went back to care homes. We only subsequently found out that that hadn't happened. Now, all the government rhetoric was we put a shield around care homes and blah, blah, blah. It was complete nonsense. Quite the opposite of putting a shield around them. We sent people with COVID back to the care homes. But when we realised in April that this had happened, the Prime Minister said a, a less polite version of, what on earth are you telling me? But when he came back after being ill, what on earth has happened with all of these people in care homes? Hancock told us in the cabinet room that people were going to be tested before they went back to care homes. Right, you get the gist. It goes on and on. And uh, what the fuck has happened? And um, I quite like the way that Cummings was calling um, Sausage Johnson's hospital bed his deathbed. It's not really his deathbed if he didn't die in it, you know. I mean, I, I understand why he's trying to kind of amp up the drama, but you can't, like, you know, if you're ill in a bed, even if you're very ill, if you don't die in the bed, it's not your fucking deathbed, is it, right? Unless he it is his deathbed and he goes back, returns exactly to the same bed <laughs> in the hospital to buy, uh, to die, to buy, to say bye-bye. Anyway... Um, yeah, so there we go. There's Cummings. I mean, you know, who, what does it matter? It probably might chip away at the old opinion polls, but we're not going to have a, like, it's just, it's unbelievable. I'm not really that satisfied with any of it. What it has done in the last couple of days is that it's given voice to some of the people that are calling for an inquiry, the uh, families of the people that have died, and so they have given incredibly powerful testimony the last couple of days about just the kind of absolute fucking shitstorm. You know, it is so unbelievable. This is why you have to think before you vote, right? Because you get fucking Matt Hancock as the Secretary of Health. You know, you get fucking Michael Gove in government. You get Boris Johnson as the Prime Minister, you know? And then something comes along and it fucks everyone up and they have no fucking idea. This sense of chaos, it was really clear from Cummings' evidence. He like, spoke for seven hours, for fuck's sake. 
this absolute sense of chaos, you know, like they botched together the um, shielding list within like over two all nighters. I mean, it's just like, but of course we know this, you know, we know this. We know in education you're getting emails like, you know, a couple of days before you're supposed to put the policy in place. It is a fucking joke, you know. So, of course, there is a kind of news element of the guy, the insider, has, like, decided to kind of stab his mates in the back. So he's talking on, like, you know, saying, well, this is how it is. But really, it's not news. Like, obviously, it was utter fucking chaotic. Like, we see it every single day. You know, like this last thing about them saying, oh, herd immunity. Oh, no, 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 no. We have nothing to do with herd immunity. Well, fucking Valance was giving interviews about herd immunity. Old Sausage Johnson himself went on this morning and said there is an argument to take it on the chin. You know, so you can't do that and then a couple of, like, you know, the next year, because herd immunity went down like a fucking lead balloon, thank fuck, um, say, oh, no, we had nothing to do with it. Anyway, that's that. Episode 225. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend if it is the weekend. And now we're going to think of the rhino. Yeah, the bloody rhino. Not the baddie from the Spider-Man films. No, although you can think of him if you like. But we're going to think of a real rhino because I saw footage of... A rhino playing a um, synthesizer, not a synthesizer, a kind of keyboard, quite a small uh, portable keyboard the other day. He was playing it with his funny leather beak that I never even knew rhinos had. And the face of the face, and the front of the face has got a fucking leather beak, which is quite gross. But anyway, if you can find the footage of um, leather beaked rhino playing a uh, keyboard, that will entertain you for a few seconds. It's shit of the keyboard. I mean, rubbish. Anyway, <laughs> one, two, three, walk between the raindrops, take care of yourselves, have a great week, see you later! That music can only mean that this is Paranormal Blip and we have got a blinder Paranormal Blip for you, starting with the UFO at Dartington, Dartington College. This was about 20 years ago, roughly, and it's the researcher for the show. Now, I'm going to protect his anonymity by um, translating his words. So I'm going to play his um, words in my ear and I'm going to tell you what he says, right? And I'm not going to bleep out the name of the other witness, okay, who he names, but I'm not going to name that other witness. And you probably know who it is, and there might be a few people that know this, but I never knew this until last week, so I'm not sure how many people the researcher has told or the other person has told. Um, but anyway, it's news to me. So here we go. Uh, also, this uh, uh, this thing that I'm going to try, this... Um, playing the audio and then re-saying what I'm hearing, re-saying or saying what I'm hearing, that reminds me of one of the best performances I ever saw many years ago now. It was in Poland and it was this um, this theatre company, I think they were from Estonia maybe, uh, who were doing um, Othello, but they were translating it into English and there was this Polish translator who was uh, translating it into English, no acting involved, just like saying the words. And 
uh, it was really good. You had to kind of wear your earphones while you were watching the um, play. And it was a long play, five hours play. And there was something about the voice of this uh, translator that basically put me to sleep. It was a very, very good sleep I had. So hopefully I won't put you to sleep. But um, right, here we go. We're going to go, going to start now. So I think it was, uh, I've got a feeling it was in my second year perhaps at Dartington, or maybe it was the final year. And I think it was summer because I'm pretty sure it was really quiet at Dartington. No one was around. Beep and I were doing our laundry. Do you remember where the laundry used to be? Sort of in higher close, is that what it was called? So, yeah, do you remember the hole in the wall where you used to get the taxi to? And then you go through that bit and the first building next to where the old MA, for a while the MA off, uh, like, area was there. And at the very end of that building there was the laundry and there was sort of a balcony bit, isn't there, outside. So we were on the balcony bit waiting for the machine to wash our clothes and we were just hanging out waiting around chatting and it was a sunny day and so looking out across that valley I don't remember who saw it first but we saw basically I mean it was very much like I've seen quite a lot of UFO type videos that look pretty uh, pretty which look quite similar it was just like a, basically, uh, an object. I think it it looked kind of oval. It could have been like shiny metal. It seemed to be reflecting or it could have been white. I don't know. It seemed to be, it could have been a disc. It was quite small and it was difficult to know how far away it was. But I remember thinking it was in the valley. So I don't know if you can picture that spot, but you can kind of see across the valley a bit. And it felt like, I'm pretty sure, basically it just went, it just tracked across the sky at a very kind of steady and constant velocity and trajectory. And it lasted a few seconds, but long enough for us to both watch it and say, what the fuck is that kind of thing? And um, it definitely wasn't a plane. There was no sound. There was no, you know, the flight was very, what kind of really stood out was its sort of weird speed and for the size of it or for where it was in our sight line, it felt like a strange way of moving because it was so kind of constant. And yeah, and no wings or anything like that, just a thing. And it just like went past and we ran to try to catch it because it went behind some trees. So it went from left to right and we ran through onto the road and to the kind of gardens around, uh, I suppose would have been yeah, there's that gate that goes up to the White Hearts that way. But there was no way of getting another perspective on it from where we were, so we just lost it. So there we go. That's good, wasn't it? Yeah, incredible. So if you um, know of, of this event, get in contact with me. And I'm still trying to track down the other, the other witness, who I do know but I haven't been in contact with them for a while, so I haven't really like tried really in any way <laughs> to track them down because I've been too busy. But it'd be interesting to, to do that and to get um, the experience from that person's point of view. So thank you very much, researcher. Incredible, yeah. Lou Alessandro. Lou Alessandro said something incredible and he said this. The universe has, has some, some interesting uh, blueprints, if you know where to find them. 
and they're consistent uh, throughout everything and anything. Let's take uh, the world of fractals, for example, where the until recently we we I, you know it seems obvious, but we never really appreciated it. You know, you look at the the path that a river takes down a mountain. And it turns out that is the same pattern that lightning takes in the sky. It's the same pattern that a tree, when it's growing from its trunk, it's the same pattern of trees. It's the same pattern that we have in, in in our lungs and the capillaries in our lungs. It's the same. It's the same, if you will, patterns that the neural connections and the synapses make in our brains and the and the connections between neurons, which happens to be the same pattern that we see in the large supercluster galaxies. Of the universe, so from the from the very very small to include the the pathways of our of our neurons, to the super super huge large millions of, of light years across, we're seeing the same pattern, and that's not even just physical, because we're seeing it even when you look at a linked analysis and diagram of human behavior and how we interact with people, and and those relationships, that too is a fractal pattern. So so when you see those type of things in the universe. From the very, very large to the very, very small, and all of nature abides by it.、Uh, you, you then have to realize that you're looking at at you're looking at something that's 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 very deliberate and very significant. So that's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Fractals, so really extraordinary, and it does make you wonder what on earth is going on, you know. And、um, all you have to do is get some broccoli and. Cut the broccoli in half and take a look. You can bloody do it yourself. Take a look at the way the broccoli pattern、um, gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah.、Um, so yeah, really beautiful piece of audio there from Lou. Thanks for saying that, Lou. It's good. It's good guy, isn't he? Now Lou Alessandro. It, it emerged this week. Quite big news. The Pentagon have been deleting his emails. And、um, apparently that's illegal, according to Lou Alessandro. You can't do that; it's a criminal offence, because there are various,、um, you know, kind of checks and balances in place in U.S. law to make sure that if you're working in some strands of defence, that all of your communications are, are saved. And after 25 years, they go to the National Archive. So it's just, just not just a question of. You know, being saved for like a short amount of time, you know,、um, and they try to kind of fob this off by saying, "Oh, yeah, but like you know, routinely we delete emails," <laughs> which is just not true. You know, I mean, maybe they do, but they shouldn't be deleting the emails from somebody in Lou Alexander's position. So that's interesting, and alongside that is this.、Um, This、uh, the Inspector General、um, for the、uh, for the Department of Defence, or for some agency connected to all of this. I think there might be quite a few Inspector Generals, but anyway, they've launched a an inquiry to take a look at how the Pentagon are dealing with the UAP、um, phenomena, and and that was sparked by Lou Alexander. We found out like just this week, I think. So Lou is kind of on the front foot here. He's also hired a lawyer with an extraordinary record. He was involved in Watergate. He was involved in Silkwood. He was involved in like you know case after case after case. It's quite、um, interesting in terms of the response because this lawyer、uh, has got his own kind of strange, kooky views when it comes to UFOs.、Uh, nevertheless, Lou. Lou has said, "If you're going to go up against the Pentagon, you need to, you know, equip yourself with the best lawyer in the business." And he is the best lawyer in the business, and it doesn't really matter what he thinks about UFOs. You know, he's my attorney. I'm not kind of working with him based on what he thinks of UFOs. I'm working with him based on the fact that he's a good fucking attorney. So it looks like, I mean, it's I don't know what the hell is going on, really. Um, but it sounds as if you know Lou Alexander. He did resign from the Pentagon with this extraordinary claim that he has now backed up. You know, and it's been verified. Even the Harry Reid had to step in a couple of weeks ago and write a formal letter saying, "No, no, no, Lou did have this job, and he did do this." And Harry Reid, of course, is the former majority、um, Senate leader. 
for the Democrats, and he uh, is the person that kind of got all of this going. And now uh, that links to an interesting story. I think it's in uh, Politico. There's quite a lot of media around. In fact, or maybe it's The Guardian, actually. The Guardian has got one. I think it is The Guardian. Um, The Guardian has got a story. Political had a story. Um, You know, uh, The Atlantic had a story. The New Yorker had a story. Obviously, 60 Minutes covered it. And so it's looking like... Uh, serious, the Telegraph in the States, serious and the Telegraph, um, or news media, like organizations, NBC, there's this guy called Gaddy Schwartz, who's a NBC, um, corresp- like a reporter, correspondent, who is well, like on this, like totally on this. And NBC are like, you know, obviously a kind of, you know, major channel in the United States. So more and more, um, serious media organizations are trying to work out like what are we going to do about this because everybody is talking about it we need to talk about it and the guardian has got this report that came out yesterday i think which is basically serves as a kind of introduction to the field you know and um you know it's basically what i was doing at the first couple of episodes of um paranormal blip um so that's really interesting that there's this kind of desire and it's continuing you know, to grow. I mean, really not just grow, but like absolutely flourish. Lou Alexander and a couple of other people are constantly doing interviews. You know, it wouldn't be just like, you know, you'd pop up on CNN once, you know, every year or less than that. It's now like, you know, constant interviews for a couple of people, Christopher Mellon and um, Sean Cahill and a couple of other people as well. And so, you know, it's really, really good. It's really interesting. Not too sure what's happening with the IG, the uh, Inspector General uh, kind of investigation into the Pentagon's handling of this. But Lou Alexander and quite a few other people, Harry Reid and a few other people are saying, don't get too excited about this report that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, But the big news from the point of view of disclosure, if you like, this week is that Jeremy Corbell... Uh, dropped another, um, uh, you know, piece of footage, and he did it uh, in collaboration with George Knapp. It included an interview with George Knapp that I'll link to the to the show notes. And you know, again, they know exactly how to do this now. You know, and he he explained loads and loads of stuff about it. Basically, this is radar footage. So. It's footage shot by... Do you remember last time, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, you know, the the speculation is that it was made by an iPhone. And I was saying, well, it's a bit weird that the guy is, like, filming it. Like, he must have been kind of ordered to film it. Well, they are, were ordered to film it. It wasn't iPhones. It was, like, a setup, like, this called Viper. Ridiculous name. Visual um, Information Personnel. So this team are basically there in order to film anything of kind of interest or anything that might be threatening um, during these kind of training exercises. So they were there in 2019, July 2019. It's exactly the same uh, event where the spherical um, you know, ship or whatever it is uh, went into the sea. It's the same event of the... Uh, the tri- the um, pyramid-shaped triang- um, craft uh, that we were talking about about a month ago. And so it's all the same event, yep. There were nine ships involved. There were between 50 and 100 um, UAPs involved, right? Um, each of these uh, ships had a UAP over it. And the other UAPs came out of the kind of main UAP, if you like, and Jeremy Corbell described that they were playing. They were playing in the sky. So there's lots, like it's genuinely bizarre, baffling. This event happened over three days, two main kind of like periods within that three-day time, okay? Nine battleships, like, you know, hundreds of people obviously involved in this, yeah? Hundreds of witnesses. And now we've got, because of this this um, Viper team that were filming things on this ship, uh, 
now we've got the radar footage and the radar footage is absolutely extraordinary you know and it kind of is very difficult to debunk do you know what i mean you know that you know you can say oh, it's a balloon even though the people are saying oh yeah it's going at 150 miles an hour <laughs> oh it's a balloon but oh yeah, oh yeah it's just the balloon just fucking flying obviously you know but then it's quite difficult to debunk radar footage and jeremy is saying that in a well i don't know when but probably in a few weeks going on the kind of you know um, structure that he's kind of set out with George Knapp. He's going to be releasing some more and he's hinted that it's that Viper um, team filming it from the from the ship. So this is probably at night. He's talked in the past about the inky backness and the, uh, you know, the kind of illuminated craft above. So that might, you know, appear in a couple of weeks. But again, it's like, you know, th this is, it's it's happening. It's real and the question is, what is it? That is the big question. What is it? And more and more people are ask, ask, asking <laughs> that question. Yes. So, see you later. <laughs>